you can open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews if you like. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table for you. Hebrews chapter 10. The title of today's message is The Plundering of Our Property and the Joy of a Better Possession. The Plundering of Our Property and the Joy of a Better Possession. My aim today is to set you free from the love of stuff. As we read Hebrews chapter 10, you'll see that these Christians in, that this letter was written to or the sermon was preached to were set free from the love of things. The love of things. So, my aim for my life and for your life is to joyfully accept if it comes to this, the plundering of your property because you have a better possession and an abiding one. Don't you want to be set free from the love of things? I hope you do. And Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 32 to 39 hopefully gets us there. Let's stand as we read together. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the living God. Amen. You can have a seat. few words of introduction by way of context where we're at in the book of Hebrews. The doctrinal section or the the pinnacle of the doctrinal section in Hebrews was chapter 8 verse 1 all the way to chapter 10 verse 18. This was the main point of uh, this individual's sermon who I see to be Paul and Luke wrote it but I leave that uh, to you to judge. That was, that was the, the doctrinal section, the, the theological underpinnings for which he wrote this letter and for why he is giving it to us today. 
chapter 10, verse 19, all the way to the end of the book, is the, um, the practical, the application part of this sermon, of this letter. And we are in the midst of that. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at the, our full assurance of faith, that since we have confidence to draw near to God, uh, let us hold fast our, confes- our confession, verse 23, and let us draw near, let us not neglect to, um, our assembly, our gathering on the Lord's day, let's not neglect that. Instead, let's come together and worship Him. Why? Because Christ alone has given us access by His blood. It was an encouraging message, hopefully. Last week was different. Last week we talked about the warning of God and His vengeance. We spoke about how there's a fury of fire if you, if you presume upon the grace of God and walk in sin, uh, you... Um, cannot expect a day of reception and warmth by God, but you can expect only a fury of fire that will consume you for eternity. In our text today, we have another encouraging message. So let me just pause here just for a moment. You have encouragement, uh, threatening, or a warning, and then an encouragement, at least in in our Uh, section the last couple of weeks. So let me pause here just for a moment. I believe the author is teaching us that if you are a parent or a friend or someone who wants to go into ministry or who teaches or who have I not gathered up yet. Everyone has friends, I hope. This author is teaching us how we ought to communicate as Christians. If the dominant note of your parenting or your preaching and teaching or your friendship is one of criticism, warning, threatening, I don't think you are listening to the book of Hebrews. All right? The book of Hebrews sandwiches his threat, which he has five of them in this letter. But the bulk of his teaching, the dominant note of this apostle's teaching, is not criticism, it is not threatening, nor is it a a message of uh, vengeance. The dominant note of our parenting, friendship, or teaching must be the sweetness and beauty of God. All right? That's a little bit of where we're at contextually. Is that clear? Thank you. All right. I have no outline today. Okay? So just follow with me. Verse 32. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So remember, uh, this church, if you go back to chapter 5, go there. Currently, presently, uh, they have become dull of hearing, okay? 
5.11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So that's the present condition this church is in. They are dull. They are drifting away. All right? The author, back in chapter 10, verse 32, recall the former days. So he wants you to think back. Think back to those days when, after you were enlightened, after God broke into your heart and gave you new life, after you were enlightened, after God um, breathed life into your soul, regenerated you, justified you, um, gave you new life in Christ. Think back to that day. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, been, were born again, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So this early church, when they took Christ, they took the cross. Taking Christ for them meant taking suffering. You see that? After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle, not just a hard struggle, with sufferings. They understood the cost of being a Christian. They counted the cost, we like to say. To take Christ was to take affliction, was to take scorn. Paul says in Philippians 1, 29 and 30 that it has been granted to you that you should not only believe in His name's sake, but also to suffer for His name. It has been granted. It, is, it has been graced to not only believe to be enlightened, but also to suffer for His name, to endure the hard struggles with sufferings. And these early Christians understood that. Give me Christ in a dungeon, I'll take it. Give me Christ in imprisonment and a fine, I'll take it. This was the life they knew. This was the life, hopefully, we know. Now what is the nature of this suffering? Verse 33, look at it. Sometimes, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So you have two options here. They had two options. You see that? Sometimes they were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Reproach is Verbal abuse. Uh, verbal scorn. They were mocked. They were made fun of because they were Christians. And it wasn't uh, done privately. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed. So, put yourself in their shoes. You come home from work. And you have your front door broken into, your furniture on the front lawn, your cattle is gone, 
And on the wall of your house, if they had spray paint, would be, get out Christian. You're not wanted here. They were publicly exposed to verbal abuse and verbal scorn. They were reproached and afflicted. Some of them had this of themselves, and some of them, it says, being partners with those so treated. So they had friends. If they didn't experience these things, they had friends who experienced these things. And they were partners with those so treated that would visit them in prison. Give them food, give them water, give them clothes. All they had was one another, in a sense. All they had was one another, which is why the command came in verse 25, don't neglect to meet together. All you have in this life at some point may be one another. And these Christians, they knew that personally. This was the life they lived. Verse 34. It continues. You had compassion on those in prison. You you met them in prison. Uh, So don't think the kinds of prisons we have today where you're given food and weights and an air conditioning and those things like that. No, if you wanted to survive in a dungeon in the first century, you would rely on those who loved you. To give you food and water. You had compassion on those in prison. You can see the ethos of the church life. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So stuff was being stolen. Their goods, their cattle was being taken, plundered. And they joyfully accepted it. Don't you want to get here? I want to get here. If I have my house broken into and I come home and my stuff's on the front lawn, I want to say, look, honey, they did it again. I want to get to verse 34. You you joyfully accept the plundering of your property. Jesus said in Matthew 5, when they persecute you, What should we do? Rejoice and be glad. Don't you want to get there? Peter and John in Acts 5, they were beaten with rods. And what did they do? They left prison rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. They joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, how do you get there? I want to get there. I think you want to get there in your heart. If it comes to that in this country, how do you get there? 
Well, it tells us. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So they knew something. Right? They knew what got them through their stuff being stolen was faith. They knew that you yourselves, and don't you love that added pronoun there, yourselves, this wasn't just ethereal. No, you yourselves know this. You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They had property of a different country. They had a possession that outweighed the possessions of this life. That's what got them through. That's how they joyfully accepted the plundering of their stuff. I want to be set free from the love of stuff. My closet is filled, stacked to the ceiling with stuff. And I love it. What if it's all gone one day? How is my heart going to respond? I hope it's like this. How do you get there? You know something. Something is in your soul. A better possession and an abiding one. What is this possession? Because everything hinges on this text on what this possession is, right? What is this possession? Well, the author has been telling us the entire letter. It is all the good news he has been showing us. Let me give you about 10, okay? There's a whole lot more. Number one, it is our Lord's triumph over death, 2.15. It is our final rest, 4.9. It is our enemies subdued, 10.13. It is our sin removed, 8.12. It is our God drawn near, 7.15. It is our victory in the blood of Christ, 9.14. It is our justification before God, 10.14. It is the city to come, 11.10. It is our better country, 11.16. It is our unshakable kingdom, 12.22. And if I may go outside the book, Galatians 4.9 is probably the best one. It is to be known by God. That is the better possession and abiding one. How are you going to come home from work one day rejoicing that you are counted worthy to suffer the name of Christian? You know your possession of God in Christ. Something this world, death, the devil, 
sin can never touch. Can the world touch your sin being removed? No. Can it touch your everlasting city to come? No. Your better country? No. So if we, we joyfully accept the plundering of our property by knowing by faith something bigger and something better and something more superior than our stuff. Philippians 3. This is all over the Bible. Paul says in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I count as loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Whatever gain I had. The psalmist in Psalm 73, this is not just Hebrews. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you, O God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. One more. The Song of Solomon. The bride in the Song of Solomon. She goes looking for, the, for her husband throughout the city. She finally finds, finally finds him and she says, I found him and I held him and I would not let him go. We have a better possession and an abiding one that sets us free from the love of this world. You want to have stuff? Have stuff. Don't let it exceed your love for the better possession of God in Christ. Verse 35. Here he gets to the application part of his sermon. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my, sh my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It says in verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. How could you? How could you throw it all away? How could you throw this possession away? It's so good. It's so everlasting. It's so much better. Don't throw it away, he says. You, you need to endure, he says, verse 36. Don't throw it away. Instead, endure. Persevere. Keep on keeping on. Keep going with the, with the saints. Don't neglect to meet together, but keep on enduring so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, the crown of life that better position. Verse 37, for yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Uh, you can see here how the, how the biblical authors define our time in which we live. The apostle Peter does this. He, says, he calls it a little while. Same with the apostle here in Hebrews. Yet a little 
while the coming one will come and will not delay. This life is short, vaporous, yet a little while, and he will come. My righteous one shall, not, shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we're not talking here about rewards. We're talking about saving our souls. There's a song out by the Gettys. It's called Take Shelter. Here's verse 1. When the nations rage and death is at the door, when the wars are waged as they have been before, there's a refuge that I run to, a respite from my fear. Nothing in this world can harm me here. When the labors of this fleeting life are done, as the shadows fall, we'll see the lights of home. And then all our present troubles will be stories of the past. Safe within his gates, we'll find our rest. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because you knew that you had a, a better possession and an abiding one. Let's pray together. Our God and our Lord, we pray that we would be a people that have our eyes on heaven, have our eyes on one another in this great city we're bound to. Give us hope and faith in the midst of a hard, difficult life. Let us have our faith rooted in a possession that we cannot see, yet we have right now, Lord.